If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Privileged to be in 2022 and so glad you're here in the ever-expanding world, affiliate world, and viewership and listenership. Uh, You can watch us on Fox Nation is what I'm alluding to, but primarily an audio entertainment venue and information venue. Uh, General Jack Keane is going to give us the latest on uh, Afghanistan, uh, the challenges that we're, uh, we're facing with Russia and Ukraine, and especially China after the Olympics as they, uh, they set their eyes on uh, Taiwan. Uh, General Jack Keane also about Lieutenant Colonel Scheller and what he said and what cost him his $2 million pension and his Marine career. He uh, spoke to Tucker last night. He'll speak to me tomorrow on Fox and Friends. I want to get the general's take on what the colonel said. And the bottom of the hour, Rich Lowry. He says that Joe Biden owes President uh, President Trump an apology. We will expand on that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Most military members do love the country, and I think most of them are very smart. I think the problem is in playing this game, they've put on blinders and lost perspective of the bigger picture. But it means they're not able to to span the room and see the real problems. Lieutenant Colonel Scheller speaking out. Speaking out about the death and destruction of Americans in Afghanistan as a report on who exactly got out and who exactly is left in the country is two months overdue. No one has been held accountable. Not General Austin, not General Milley, not General McKenzie. We still have jobs, but Scheller doesn't. He lost everything, including his family, for the country. Number two. I know uh, D.A. Bragg. I I respect him. He's a great prosecutor, former U.S. attorney. You identify that they have a mental health issue. Instead of locking them up, let's defer prosecution. There's no reason to put someone with a mental health illness in Rikers Island. That's a revolving door. That is not what we're talking about, and that is so discouraging. Mayor Eric Adams talking about another win for George Soros. Crime and no punishment takes root in New York City at a time in which this new mayor promised just the opposite. How this new DA just let us all know this city will get more unlivable by the day as armed robbery, burglary, resisting arrest get downgraded or ignored. Number one. I'm testing. I know this remains frustrating. Believe me, it's frustrating to me. We're adding more each and every day. Google, COVID test near me on Google to find the nearest site where you can get a test most often and free. Does he ever pre-read a copy? Staggering. Go Google it? Can you imagine if Trump told you to go Google it? Staggering. That's what the American people are doing as this administration has let them down on every turn. Oppressive vax mandates. Inadequate undersupply tests and overstating effectiveness of vaccines have combined to create a pervasive climate of distrust in this nation. Worst of all, the teachers' unions are defying their beloved Democratic leaders and closing schools. 
further damaging our next generation. I wish I was exaggerating, but I am not. And that's where we'll begin. So far, cases are up at a big-time rate, 254%. As predicted, when South Africa contacted us about this virus that seems to ignore the vaccine, spread easy, but have mild symptoms. That's called what we got. Deaths are down 3%. Hospitalizations are up. But ICU beds, we have plenty because... It is not an emergency situation. A lot of people are going in to be uh, going into the hospital, getting tested along the way to find out how they should be situated and then get COVID. And they're looked at as hospitalizations. More on that later. Vaccines for 12 and up 71 percent. If I told you two years ago that we got a vaccine out and seven of every 10 Americans will get it 12 and up, you would say we are home free. But not according to this president. No one's briefed him or updated him on the challenges of this virus. He continues to say the same thing over and over again. Cut one. We have in hand all the vaccines we need to get every American fully vaccinated, including the booster shot. So there's no excuse, no excuse for anyone being unvaccinated. This continues to be a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So we got to make more progress. And for patients who still haven't gotten your kids vaccinated, please get them vaccinated. Okay. I can't even listen to this anymore. Uh, What he has said over and over again is the same thing. It's as if they don't update him. Now, let me tell you about the unvaccinated. The CDC uh, gave us this source. They looked at two dozen states. And we don't have definitive empirical numbers, which is sinful. They looked at two dozen states. Between April and June, they said, okay, how many people have breakthrough illnesses? 77,000. Is it truly a vaccine? Is it truly a pandemic of the unvaccinated? 1,500 breakthrough deaths have been recorded. Is it truly a pandemic of the unvaccinated? Compared to more than 1.74 million breakthrough cases, there are 15,000 deaths between July and the first week of November of 2021. Is this truly about the unvaccinated? This is about a, a vaccine that was supposed to be 94% effective. Now we find out the durability has us all getting a booster shot within six months and kids in college having to get it or they're expelled or forced to pay $70,000 for a private school to go at home on your laptop or iPad. So you really have no choice. Unvaccinated, roughly five times greater te- risk of testing positive. But there are more breakthrough cases and there's no stats yet on whether you pass on the virus with mild symptoms, vaccinated or unvaccinated, easier either way. We have no numbers on that. And they also said in the U.K. that this booster shot situation where you get a booster every six months is unsustainable. And that was from a scientist who helped create the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is not a vaccine. It's a shot. It's really like the flu shot. Because the flu shot, you got to get every year, and you got to adjust it every year to the variant that's out there. And sometimes you miss. That's the life of a flu shot. We're used to that. But that's not the life of a vaccine Polio, measles, that's not what we're used to getting. Now, the school's got to be open. We know the kids have been damaged. We know that they're not. And that's something on the president, who won't call out the unions, but is now finally saying what Donald Trump said, and that is get to school. Kids got to be in school. We gave you plenty of money. We gave you $122 billion to schools to check the ventilation system, to get whatever it is, plexiglass, which I think is useless, by the way, uh, to make the school COVID-friendly as possible. But look what they use some of their money for in Chicago, $32 million for a culturally responsive curriculum. What? Milwaukee, $24 million for socially emotional learning. What? Including 100000 for anti-racism, bias, professional development. Is that helping you? 
avoid the virus. In Michigan, promoting an equity lens to approve appropriation money, including spending it on professional development for all staff members in social-emotional learning and trauma-informed care and implicit bias. Six school districts opted for remote learning. Uh, in Milwaukee, same thing. Now, in Chicago, they're all deciding not to go to school, whether they're sick out or told to stay out. Absolutely awful and embarrassing for a country that's forged on uh, on pioneers, people that are willing to take chances. That's what I thought in the past. But that's not what we're getting now. Here is uh, Chicago officials insisting the data does not support the school closures. This is Dr. Allison Arwadi, a Chicago public health commissioner who says, leave them open. Cut 15. The hospitalization risk among working age adults who have received a booster vaccine, it is literally near zero. There is no evidence in our schools throughout the whole semester, the whole entire semester, with all the complaints that, that existed about what we didn't have, the misinformation, that we saw any significant level of any transmission. It just We just didn't see it. It's not there. That's why you didn't see it. But still, closure after closure. So, and you know what? It's not just Chicago. Chicago public school staff uh, vaccinated 91%. Still, the uh, classes were canceled. The union voted in favor of a return to remote learning, forcing schools to close until January 18th. Over 1,000 Boston public school employees call out of work sick, even though the governor said to go to work. So the number includes 461 teachers, 50 bus drivers. All right, uh, bus drivers certainly an issue. I think they're hurdles. They should be an option in a situation like that. But don't close the schools. Detroit Public Schools Community District goes all virtual through January 14th. Arizona, I love this, will pay families up to $7,000 to ensure in-person learning. There's a new government program. So they give it to families of eligible children at risk of being deprived of in-person learning to cover the cost of switching schools, child care, or transportation. Governor Doug Ducey announced that uh, program on Tuesday, the creation of so-called Open for Learning Recovery Benefit Program. I'm not sure how effective it would be, but I appreciate the hustle. We used to be about hustle. When we come back, I'm going to talk to – I don't want to cut General Jack Keene short – I want to get his take on what Lieutenant Colonel Scheller said yesterday about holding these General Milley and a McKenzie and Austin responsible, them not quitting, and him getting honorably discharged but losing all benefits. And his family was so under scrutiny, him and his wife got divorced and his wife moved out. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, 
they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Most military members do love the country, and I think most of them are very smart. I think the problem is in the system of navigating your career, you get into the mindset of thinking about how you navigate your career and be careful and not ruffle feathers. And and in playing this game, they've put on blinders and lost perspective of the bigger picture. That doesn't mean they love they love America less, but it means they're not able to to span the room and see the real problems. That is a little bit of Lieutenant Colonel Scheller's uh, interview with, with Tucker Carlson. It went for a long time. It's going to be posted at 4 p.m. today on Fox Nation, and he had some cuts yesterday. I'll play some more, but joining me now to talk about the epic failure, which was Afghanistan. We all agree on that. General Jack Keane. Retired four-star general, the chairman of the Institute for the Study of War and Fox News senior strategic analyst. General, you saw Lieutenant Colonel uh, have uh, just rant and just talk about the frustration. You saw him do a series of uh, a series of videos that got him uh, arrested, really, and court-martialed. And he leaves with no pension, and he leaves an honorable discharge. I don't know if you had a chance to see or listen to him yesterday, but what's your take on the lack of accountability that he's calling for amongst the people in charge? Yeah, well, when we take a look at what happened in Afghanistan, I mean, the fact is the on-scene commander did not want to leave Afghanistan. He recommended a minimum force there of 2,500. He probably would have settled out. He would have preferred a force of about 4,500. The commander and central command, that's his boss, uh, agreed with that recommendation. That did the chairman and the secretary of defense. I mean, they had a commander-in-chief that didn't agree with them. And we got a, a diabolical result as a, uh, as a result of an unconditional withdrawal. That was the president's decision. Uh, so I guess what we're saying is all those commanders, uh, the president didn't accept their recommendation, so they should resign. 
Um, and I think that's a personal choice. Uh, if, if the on-scene commander was retiring anyway, Secretary of Defense and the chairman, I think it comes down to whether they believe they still have some influence over this president. Jim Mattis resigned um, over Syria, but he also, in, in my discussions with him, he knew that because they've been going on for some months, uh, that the relationship between him and the yeah. president had, sou- had soured. And he and, and Jim concluded, he said, look, at the president has a right to have somebody as secretary of defense that he wants to listen to. He no longer wants to listen to me. So I think that's that's where that decision lies. That these, the people who are contributing to policy, particularly the chairman and, and the secretary of defense, they, they obviously got an outcome that they didn't want. They certainly didn't agree with the president's decision, although they have to support it in execution, which they did. And are they going to continue to serve because they can still provide him advice and counsel that he's willing to take? I mean, that that to me is where the where that decision lies. And it's a personal choice. But but as you know, General, no one felt this more than you. No one forecasted it more than you. And you were trying to uh, get to the previous administration on the possible effects of us prematurely leaving irresponsibly as we did. And having said that, if Millie says you do that and I'm going to walk out and call a press conference, I'm going to resign. That would influence the president because he knew it would be a political disaster for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to respond, to resign before he executed the evacuation. That would have affected the decision. That's his point. Yeah. Uh, well, let, let's unpack that a little bit. Yep. Uh, if we're going to resign every time we have a po- policy disagreement with a commander in chief of the White House, um, what is that suggesting to those that are our subordinates? I mean, we're asking our subordinates to do really tough things that many times they're not going to agree with. And I'm talking about combat fighting now. We have a mission to take. We have an objective to take. We know there may be significant casualties. We have people in the organization that are bound by law to obey that order and to execute it, even they may disagree with it, even, they, even if they believe they're heading towards a certain death. Uh, so that's that's the culture of the military. And if the senior guys, every time they have a disagreement with True. their boss, quit. Right. What are we sending? What's the message we're sending? I, I hear you. And to, obviously, you there, there's great validity in that statement. However, there's certain moments in time, like D-Day and the evacuation of the longest war in American history, where you have to say to yourself, this is really like no other decision. And it turns out, and you predicted it, the worst military decision maybe in American history. And you that's going to be on your conscience because you're the military person and you could actually see it clearer than a uh, somebody who really has very little military knowledge in Joe Biden. This would have been the moment. In other words, don't resign over everything, but this might have been something you resign over. No, no, I, I, I and I, I don't dispute that. I, I do admit that there are are at times when you're having a, such a significant policy disagreement that uh, it rises to the occasion uh, for a military leader or a secretary of defense uh, to resign based on the significance of, of what the disagreement is. And, and I don't dispute that. I just say it, this can't be something that's routine. This has got to be a seminal event. Now, does this rise to that event? You, you yeah, bet you it comes very close to that. I mean, but it comes down uh, to a, a personal decision. I mean, I, I don't know myself how I would have reacted to that. I mean, I took great offense 
when President Trump declared that we were going to end the endless war. I know you did. Again, I know you did. Because it, to me, it was irresponsible, you know, to walk away and just think that everything's going to be fine if we walk away and the Taliban are not going to take over and the al-Qaeda are not going to come back. And that's just wishful thinking. Um, and I, and I, I believe this. Uh, if President Trump was faced with that decision uh, upon his re-election, and I, I actually think he would not have pulled the troops out unconditionally. I know he would Knowing have. full well that. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The Taliban could take over. He, he would not have underwritten that diabolical event where we're actually surrendering to our enemies. Uh, I, I, I don't see it, but we, we, we can only speculate about that. It, it, I would say to a degree, but you know him very well, and his ego wouldn't have let him turn that country in a matter of days over to the Taliban. At the, with everything at Trump, he wouldn't have let this happen. And I just, I'll, I will believe that to my final thought. You're, you just no, I, agree, I agree with that. I agree yeah. with that, General. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna interview him tomorrow. I, uh, maybe you'll uh, come on after and hear and give me a review of what he. How he afforded himself. Uh, General Jack Keane, thanks sure. so much. Yeah, great talking to you, Brian, and your audience, too. Yeah, Thank you. Same here. Uh, listen, we, I, I wish I could talk to you, General Moore. I got like five cuts here. It was my bad. Um, Rich Lowry's coming up next, and then I'll play some more from Schiller and then get your comments. 1 866 408 7669. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. You can also follow me now on Rumble and get her. So go get it. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Let me just say that to being open to... Uh, a rules change that would uh, create a nuclear option, uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very difficult. It's, it's a heavy lift. And the reason I say it's a heavy lift is that once uh, you change uh, a rule or you have a carve-out, and I've always said this, anytime there's a, a, a carve-out, uh, you eat the whole turkey. <laughs> there's nothing left because it comes back and forth. So you want things that will be sustainable. That's what you're looking for. So a frustrated Harry Reid uh, went ahead and blew up the filibuster and got a whole bunch of judges passed when Barack Obama was president. And then Donald Trump became president, and he ended up with Supreme Court justices on a simple majority in the Senate. But that's all just for judges. And the Donald Trump's uh, the Republicans said, no, that no, goes for Supreme Court justices, too. All right. But when it comes to legislation, it's 60 votes. Unless you have reconciliation, which means it's got to be budget-oriented. But now a frustrated uh, and anemic uh, an inept uh, Senator Chuck Schumer realizing he didn't get his Build Back Better plan done. He's not getting voting reform done because he can't get any Republican support for it, justifiably. He's going to blow up the filibuster, but just for voting. 
And Joe Manchin saying, really? Uh, if you're going to do it just for voting, it is over. And I don't know if you've seen the public sentiment right now, but there's an excellent chance you lose the Senate. It's almost guaranteed you're going to lose the House. And you got about nine people that legitimately have a good shot at becoming Republican presidents. And then you're in a lot of trouble, Democrats. And that's what Joe Manchin is trying to say. But it might not stop Chuck Schumer, who's going to, on Martin Luther King Day, announce, uh, put together a vote to get rid of the filibuster for voting, nationalizing our federal elections. And joining me now to talk about this is Rich Lowry, wrote about in his latest column. Uh, Rich, welcome, uh, writes for uh, National Review. Uh, Rich, uh, what's coming our way? I don't Brian, really understand what Schumer's doing here. I had a similar feeling prior to the end of the year when Schumer said, we must have a vote on Build Back Better by the end of the year. I'm definitely going to have a vote. And usually when a leader says that, you're like, okay, he he knows he can somehow get the votes. But he didn't, you know, obviously, because Manchin blew the whole thing up on Fox News Sunday. And same thing here. I mean, why is he doing this unless he he has some plan to secure Cinema and Manchin's votes for blowing up the filibuster? And there's just zero indication that that's going to happen. Zero. I mean, they've been as adamant as they've been on anything that this is a bad idea. And Cinemas has said, commonsensically, going to your point about the filibuster carve-out for the courts, if Democrats blow up the filibuster for, for this, then Republicans have unified control in January 2025, you know, easily imaginable. They'll just reverse everything and then pass their favored electoral reforms on a nationwide basis. And what sense does that make? So I don't see this happening. It might be that Schumer is just a base play and in a way, you know, kind of ward off an AOC primary challenge. Um, otherwise, it just makes zero sense. And I can't see it going anywhere. I think she's going for Gillibrand Seed, who's invisible. Uh, would but, be easier, yeah. Yeah, it would be easier. Uh, Rich, a couple of things. You say January 6th is going to be a jumping off point to get some momentum, general momentum, maybe independent momentum behind uh, voter led, uh, federalizing elections uh, because Republicans want to overturn election results. How is January 6th likely to be used at tomorrow by Democrats? Well, they're, they're, I mean, it's obvious they're going to use this uh, to make a play for the, these voting bills and argue that the only way we can save our democracy is by federalizing the elections, election administration along these lines. And that just makes zero sense. I, I do think, you know, there's some narrow fixes you can do to the Electoral Count Act, which has to do with, you know, the role of the vice president in counting and, and how, how and when Congress can reject electors from, from states. But Schumer and Democrats shown zero interest in, in doing that stuff because they want to cynically use January 6th for, for this, this, all these voting measures that they supported on January 5th, right? And they supported, you know, they wrote the original bill like in, in 2017. So it's completely unresponsive to anything that happened on, on January 6th. And I would think from their perspective, if you want people to take January 6th seriously, you shouldn't be using it in, for transparent, cynical political purposes, which they are. Which, by the way, uh, I'm – and I've been on the record on this, and people know it. I think January 6th was the worst day for President Trump, bar, bar none. And if he had just left and reluctantly invited Joe Biden to the White House and said, here's a tour, I know you know the place, and I'm upset about a few things that happened related to the election, but I'll be back, uh, he would be about 58% approval rating right now. And he'd still be on social media. So 
January 6th was devastating. But when you start using it to run specials, to get <clears throat> ratings, and then to try yeah. to revamp a fe- and federalize elections, which, by the way, I'm not too sure that Oregon wants an election system where you don't have all mail-in. I'm not sure mm-hmm. that New York wants their... Uh, wants their election system different from, you know, different from or the same as Florida. So I'm pretty sure that this in many ways was working out. They want to get rid of the gerrymandering and they want to get uh, rid of the they want to be able to mail a ballot to everybody uh, in the area, including non-citizens. We don't know where this is going, but there's something else going on. And that is what happened in Georgia in 2018. You point out in your column that this really began in 2018 when when Stacey Abrams loses an election and still has not admitted she lost yeah, and yeah, cries foul and racism. Lost. Remind us. Yeah, so she still hasn't admitted she lost. No Democrat contradicts her. They, they, all, they all support this, this lie that she somehow won in, in 2018, and th- there's just zero evidence of it. Georgia has one of the m- most you know, open systems in the country. The League of Women Voters, there's a story, I don't know, a year ago in Georgia said, we, we need to shut down our voter registration efforts because we can't find anyone who's not re- registered. <laughs> you know, so the idea that, that that's Jim Crow down there is a, a hideous and poisonous lie. And it just goes to, you know, they, they've pointed to the poll, I think Washington Post poll showed that um, only 70, 72% of people nationwide think that Biden was legitimate elected. Then you look at the, the number back in 2017, only 67% of people thought Trump was legitimately elected. You look at 2001, only 55% of people at one point thought George W. Bush was legitimately elected. So partisans, you know, this is this is what they, they think. And and Democrats have done it too. I mean, Cherry McAuliffe, there's no Republican has been elected since 1988 where Cherry McAuliffe thought he's legitimately been elected. So the, the hypocrisy here is just astonishing. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing when you talk about elections, I think both sides could get together before 2024 and say, listen, no BS. We have to get the American people to understand the results of the election are the results of the election. I mean, 2016, they never admitted he legitimately did. They spent three years with the Russian investigation. Right. Nobody needs to be reminded by that. Hillary Clinton was asked, do you think Donald Trump is duly elected president? She said, I have questions. So that's not exactly Al Gore admitting that Donald, yep. that George W. Bush won the election, but that's where it kind of started. Here's more from Joe Manchin yesterday, who holds the key to this. Cut 39. There's basically the need for us to protect democracy as we know it, and the Senate, as it has operated for 232 years, are extremely, extremely high bars that we must be very careful for willing to cross those. Uh, so. I'm talking. I'm not agreeing to any of this to the extent I want to talk and see all the options we have open. And that's what we're looking at. Uh, And I think these are things Republicans and Democrats both could and should agree on. So we want to talk to everybody. I want to engage everybody. I'm just not doing it from one side. I think that for us to go it alone, no matter what side does, it ends up coming back at you pretty hard. So what is he saying there? I mean, he's been pretty consistent in saying, unless I get Republican buy-in, I'm not doing this. Do you think something will change, Rich? I don't think so. You know, there's always a little, a, a little leeway he gives. You know, that wasn't like a total, absolute no, never over my dead body, but it was, it was close to that. And I mean, j- just your point about Oregon and New York, you know, they, they really want their system changed federally. This is just one of the, the beauties of our system is how decentralized it is. 
And Oregon, you know, they have relatively clean elections, and they're, they, they like all-mail all ballots. Okay, fine. You know, I don't like that system, but I don't live in Oregon, you know. <laughs> and, and Georgia wants to tighten up and, and make sure they're, you know, really secure mail-in ballots, and you have to put your Social Security number uh, on, on the ballot or, or some other form of ID. Fine. I mean, what's wrong with that? That's not Jim Crow. Um, so I, I think this, this is one of the, the beauties of our, our system. And the more things are nationalized at a time of poisonous partisan division, the more divided we become. You know, it it would be better have a little more of a let live and let live attitude where I don't want to impose my preferences on Oregon, and and people who prefer Oregon shouldn't want to impose their preferences on Georgia or Texas. Uh, Rich, you also wrote a column a couple of days ago about when does Donald Trump get his an apology as it relates to COVID. You want to expand on that? Yeah, I mean, just what Joe Biden and, and Chris Hayes and others said about Trump, they, they basically attributed every single death during the, the first year of the pandemic to Donald Trump, as if Trump wanted people to die and there's some magic wand he had. You know, if he said more favorable things about masks, you know, 400,000 people wouldn't have died. And that was always ridiculous, and it's been highlighted just how ridiculous it is um, uh, throughout all of 2021, right? Another 400,000 people died tragically, and Joe Biden didn't have a magic wand either. But if they're going to be consistent, they would say Joe Biden has all this blood on his hands, and he could have he could have stopped it. I mean, the fact is, none of us could have stopped this. There are things the government got wrong throughout the pandemic, because this was like a, a once in a, a hundred years type event, and we, we should be willing to admit that. And for for a year, they just smeared uh, Trump when he, you know, and they complain about not enough people are vaccinated. But who, who pushed the vaccines forward? Right. I mean, that's the most important development during the whole pandemic. It was Donald Trump. Seventy one percent, 71 percent of the people over 12 years old have been vaccinated. If I gave you that number and I said seven uh, out of 10 Americans will be vaccinated, they're eligible. Uh, you'd say we're pretty we're set. You'd say, uh, Rich Lowry, from what we know, we're set. We're going to be fine. But instead, he keeps blaming and now mandating and getting fired, people fired from yeah. Marines, from hospital workers in New York, uh, from National Guard members who aren't getting vaccinated. That's his way of bringing people together. The other thing is, Rich, there's no there's no equivocation. There's no way you could possibly excuse the fact that he does not have enough tests. Now, I don't yeah. believe that we should test our way out of it, but the fact that we can't go to CVS or Walgreens mm-hmm. and get our own rapid test or PCR test and we have to wait a week to get it back and I got to get my kid to sit out in the 22 degree weather to get a te- to get yeah. online to be tested in some pup tent on the 48th and 6th. This is unbelievable that he never ordered the test, but he asked for the money last March. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that's it's been a total debacle. And, you know, it's affected the CDC guidance, right? I, I mean, not, not that anyone puts much credence in the CDC now, but they, they first say, well, you don't need a, a test to stop isolating because they realize no one can get tested, which is sort of makes sense. And then, then all these other public health types say, well, well, what do you mean you can't have, you know, you need a test. So they're like, oh, we're re- re- reconsidering it. And now they sort of straddled, said you can take a test, but you don't have to just because there are no tests. 
And, you know, I think there have been absurdities in, in testing, especially major sports leagues, right? You know, testing and finding these asymptomatic cases of 20, extremely healthy 25-year-old guys who aren't going to uh, suffer any negative health consequences at all, and then shutting down games makes zero sense. But if you're wondering, you know, should I get on a plane or should, should I have this gathering, it's really help, help, helpful to have the test. And you should be able to go to a pharmacy and buy one. Uh, when, when my family got it, all got it, you know, three or four weeks ago, we could do that. But no one can anymore. So uh, just a quick thing. Uh, there's no excuse also. And I, there's no, well, what about Trump? This is, this is the fact. There is no excuse that he did not order this Pfizer therapeutic pre-testing. Because we're willing to, as American people have accepted the fact that we might lose money making vaccines ahead of time as they got it, uh, mm-hmm. as they move forward right. on the okay. So this Paxlovid is a Pfizer therapeutic that's 90% effective. You need, evidently, uh, you need, um, you have 35,000 coming in January, 50,000 coming in February. We are a nation of 330 million people. Now we have an additional 10 to 20 million. He's now ordering more. Now, he did not want to order this ahead of time. A therapeutic to get to get our country back on track, even for the unvaccinated and the vaccinated. We all need this therapeutic like you need Tamiflu, only this is supposed to be better. How dare he not order this? Yeah, so one of the great innovative ideas of, of 2020 was let's pre-order the vaccines before we know they work. Because we'll take the loss if they don't. But if they do work, we're going to be ahead of the game. That was a a brilliant insight. And I think you're right. They should have done something similar here. I'm not sure exactly why they didn't. Part of it might might be, and we've just seen this, this has been a bizarre dynamic throughout the whole pandemic. The left has just looked down on therapies, right? I mean, is there any other disease where if if you get it, the attitude is, well, you know, uh, too bad for you. You should have done more to to stop getting it. But, you your, th- your, your emphasis on therapies is, is really irrational and dumb. I mean, that makes no sense, right? I mean, you should urge people to get vaccinated. Uh, if, if they don't or they get sick anyway, you should have therapies. It, it's, it's common sense. You know, just I, I just got to say this. I'm over. But I watched ABC, the repeat in the morning. I'm up at 3 in the morning. So I said, let me put on ABC, how the network news handles this in 22 minutes. I'm always fascinated because we need 24 hours, and I still don't think I have enough time. And they cover the testing lines. Do you know they cover the lines? They cover the frustration on waiting for the results and the inaccuracies of the test and the and the mixed messages. And not one criticism of the White House, even though we gave them money. How do you do that story as a journalist or a columnist and not say the White House had the money, the tests were already created, and they just didn't order them? Yeah. So to well, me, welcome, for, yeah. welcome to the so-called mainstream media. It, but it's never, I don't never think it's been like this, Rich. I and uh, yeah, no, I don't it, know. Gets, it gets worse all the time. And and of course, obviously, in 2020, in any jurisdiction that had any problem with PPE or mask yeah. or, or whatever, it was all in the White House. Got it. Uh, yeah, I'm getting the rap. Rich, always great. Two effective columns. Right. Hey, I look forward to talking to you soon. Okay. Uh, Talk to you soon. This is the Brian Bye-bye. Kilmeade Show. Back with your calls in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The DA now we're talking about, he's saying that everything except for murder and a couple of other uh, um, crimes uh, shouldn't be uh, resulting in carceral sentences. 
and in fact uh, should be effectively uh, uh, let go. In a city like New York, which has seen an almost 50% rise in murder between 2019 and 2021, which has seen a surge in more minor crimes, this is exactly the wrong way to go. You think so? This is the so, so disappointing. This new woke DA in New York. I got caught up in who the mayor is, but this guy, Alvin Bragg, is the new DA. The first thing he did is go ahead and no longer prosecute marijuana, resisting, resisting arrest and interfering with an arrest. That means some cop is going to make an arrest. Someone tries to run away. No problem. Forget about it. I mean, you're going to tell me that's going to help policing, trespassing, turnstile jumping. George Soros gave this guy a million dollars and he won an election, just like he did in Philly, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and so many others. And now we have a situation where burglars who steal from residential storage areas uh, that are parts of homes that aren't accessible in a living area will be charged differently and prosecuted as a low-level Class D felony. It only covers break-ins instead of more serious crimes. So if they break into the heart of your house— they're going to be in trouble. But if they break into your detached garage and steal all your valuables, it's a Class D misdemeanor. So why not try it? Insanity. If you think New York is unlivable now, wait till it's in store for us. And this mayor, the new mayor, said this guy's on the public safety bandwagon. On what planet? Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com, order the president and freedom fighter. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you live from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we have a lot to discuss as we get set for 2022. So hopeful about uh, Mayor Adams. Why this district attorney has just left me crestfallen. That story, we'll discuss it. And also discuss the latest with the COVID-19 and the idiocy that's around us. Dr. Marty Bakari is a voice of reason, always has been. Also, the dangers of China and the Belt and Road Program. It might be Greek to you, but it shouldn't. Why Uganda will give us the clue of how extortion is all about their modus operandi with a Wall Street Journal columnist that really spelled it out. I'll give you that story and, of course, your calls. First, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Most military members do love the country, and I think most of them are very smart. I think the problem is in playing this game, They've put on blinders and lost perspective of the bigger picture. But it means they're not able to to span the room and see the real problems. Lieutenant Colonel Schiller finally speaking out about Afghanistan, about his death, the death and destruction of America in Afghanistan, and what has happened since the 13 who died, and the fact that no general, no secretary, no president has paid the price. He has given up so much to get his story out. He's finally ready to speak. You'll get some excerpts. 
Number two. I know uh, D.A. Bragg. I, I respect him. He's a great prosecutor, former U.S. attorney. You identify that they have a mental health issue. Instead of locking them up, let's defer prosecution. There's no reason to put someone with a mental health illness in Rikers Island. That's a revolving door. No one's talking about that. What is he saying? Another win for Soros. Crime and punishment takes uh, and lack of punishment takes root in New York City at a time in which this new mayor promised just the opposite. How this new DA just let us know this city will get uh, more unlivable by the day. Armed robbery, burglary, resisting arrest, get downgraded or flat out ignored. Number one. I'm testing. I know this remains frustrating. Believe me, it's frustrating to me. We're adding more each and every day. Google, COVID test near me on Google to find the nearest site where you can get a test most often and free. Go Google? Really? Staggering. That's what the American people are doing thanks to the administration's ineptness on every turn. Oppressive vax mandates, inadequate undersupply tests, overstating effectiveness of vaccines have combined to create a pervasive climate of distrust in this nation. Worst of all, the teachers unions are defying their beloved Democratic leaders in closing schools, including in the city, further damaging our next generation who might be uh, damaged beyond repair. When you look at some of these preschoolers and what they've been forced to go deal with uh, emotionally and intellectually. Uh, yeah, first, let's uh, let's talk about this. Two weeks, cases are up 254%, staggering, until you look at the fact that most of the people are fine. Hospitalizations are up, but not hospital stays or ICU units like with the Delta variant and the original virus itself. Deaths are actually down 3% nationwide. Vaccines are up, 12 and up, 71% of you have been vaccinated, 7 out of every 10. 65 and up, 95% of you have been vaccinated. We have a therapeutic Paxlovid. That's when the bad news starts. Here's the bad news. We have a therapeutic. They knew it was coming. It just had to go through the final throes of testing. And the president did not order enough. He ordered between 10 million. He ordered 10 million. It's going to be ready in a month. Not enough. There's 330 million people. And with each dose, you need 30 pills, 30, five a day. So he ordered another 10 million. We're up to 20 million. Does he does he not account 35,000 are going to be ready in January, 50,000 in February. What good is that going to do when you need 30 pills in five days? Why is he underordered on tests? I can't explain it. Omicron now is 95% of all new COVID cases. And all he says is, I have the money. I wish we had more tests. We don't. We don't. How inexcusable is that? And when asked about this, He's telling people to Google it and saying this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, which he has said all along. And it's been erroneous when he first said it. It was wrong and it's still wrong. Cut to. Unvaccinated are taking up hospital beds and crowding emergency rooms and intensive care units. That's just placing other people who need access to those hospitals. <laughs> so please, please, please get vaccinated now. You know, we've reduced the number of American adults without any shots from 90 million to about 35 million in the past six months. But there's still 35 million people. I can't even listen to him. He's berating us and talking down to us like he actually knows more when he doesn't. He says the same thing every time. I know what it's like to be unfamiliar with a copy. I like to have to read it cold. Every copy he reads, it's like he's, he's come from Mars. So he has the wrong emphasis because he doesn't even believe what he's saying. 
I want to know who's loading his prompter and why they keep putting the same thing up there. Does anyone even update him on the number? So I asked our brain room today, and I just said, can you just let me know how many people are having breakthrough, breakthrough, positive tests, how many are hospitalized? And they don't have definitive numbers, but they worked on it for me for two hours. So here's what we know. You ready for this? Between April and November of this past year, 2021, 16,700 vaccinated people died, died from this variant. Okay, not from this variant, from the Delta variant. Approximately 96 percent of the 1.8 million breakthrough cases have come during the same time period. All right. Now, compare this. 5.8 million unvaccinated Americans tested positive and 64,000 unvaccinated people have died. Some could have underlying conditions. Same with the vaccinated people. But to get vaccinated is not to be disease free. And I hope because I got vaccinated that the risk of a brand new vaccine is worth it because if I'm going to get it, my symptoms will be less. So I asked more. Do you have any more information? They say the CDC provided this. They looked at two dozen states and it shows between April and June, there was just two dozen. So it was 24 to 50, a total of 77,000 breakthrough cases. 77,000. Wow. 1,500 breakthrough deaths were recorded. Now, a lot of the breakthrough cases, uh, the symptoms are so mild, we're not getting tested. Most of us don't walk around waiting for a test. That haven't been scared to death by alarmists. 1,500 breakthrough deaths. Now, compare that to 1.74 million breakthrough cases, 15,000 deaths between July and November. Hardly a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Now, they say the unvaccinated are five times greater risk of dying and getting it. Okay? Regardless, the consensus opinion is that the kids belong back in school because 1% of the transmission happens in schools, 15% happens in homes and outside the home, let's just say outside school. So they provided $5 billion just for the state of Illinois to get the ventilation set, separate the desk, get your plexiglass, even though plexiglass has proven to be ineffective, whatever it takes, get it ready. 91% of the people in Illinois have been vaccinated, the teachers and the workers, 91%. That should be fine. Go back to school, right? So following the American Rescue Plan, uh, they got $122 billion for schools. The president comes out and says, well, the kids got to get back in school. But a lot of people did not spend the money on schools yet. Well, that's not my problem. We gave you the money. If they're not there, the kids go back to school anyway. If they're not ready, those superintendents should be fired. The principals should be gutted. They should be taken out. But when Michigan, Milwaukee, and Chicago, when we looked at where the numbers are, they're at $32 million, for example, in Chicago. Do you know what they spent $32 million on? They spent it on comprehensive, cultural, responsive curriculum. What? They allocated $24 million in Milwaukee for, uh, for the uh, social-emotional learning. What? 100000 for anti-racism. Are you kidding? In Michigan, they promoted equity lens op- uh, appropriation money, including spending it on professional development for all staff members in social-emotional learning. Are you kidding? So there, now you have in Milwaukee, they won't be conducting classes in person until January 10th. Uh, in Chicago, January 18th, the earliest. This is unbelievable, and it's unacceptable. And if you think about it, $122 billion, and we still can't get kids back in school when almost everybody says the kids belong back in school. Here is Joe Biden, cut 13. We have no reason to think at this point that Omicron is worse for children than previous variants. We know that our kids can be safe when in school, by the way. That's why I believe schools should remain open. Right. Schools should be made open. They gave money to it. They didn't spend it. So he's going to say, you know, I gave the money. I didn't follow up on it. That's bad. 
Number one, you have these people specializing in the coronavirus. That could be part of it. Number two, the Secretary of Education says go back to school. The President says go back to school. The ridiculous Dr. Fauci says go back to school. They said the schools should be open. But if they picked up the phone and called Randy Weingarten and said, you're embarrassing me. I know you gave money to my campaign, but the kids are being hurt. I'm 78 years old. i got a myriad of grandkids. I care more about the next generation than I do my party. Get these kids back in school. They are being damaged. Dr. Marty McCurry is coming up next. Uh, he'll be uh, at the bottom of the hour. He'll be discussing it. But here is Nick Gillespie. He's the editor of Reason Magazine. He was on with Gutfeld last night. Cut 18 about the damage kids are receiving. You know, the other thing, though, about all of this is that when we're talking about kids especially, it's something like 600 kids in America under the age of 18 or 19 died of COVID. Right, right. And somehow they are the ones paying all of the costs, including now being called fatties. Yeah. You know, it's like it, there, th- this is another thing that's hollowed out any trust or confidence that why have we forced kids to pay for a disease, you know, pay the biggest cost for a disease that harms them the least? That's what exactly is it. Bro, the adults have thoroughly let down this next generation, not me. Uh, I don't have the power, sadly, except for the power of this microphone. When we come back, I'm going to take a little bit of a pivot, but it's a comprehensive show. I want to talk a little bit about China and this Belt and Road program. They are strong as a country, but if they're going to try to take over the world, they're going to do it by giving struggling nations money to build roads and bridges and infrastructure and ports. And when they can't, and, it, and of course it's, it's expected, they can't make the payments, they'll take them. I'm not kidding. From rare earth to military ports. That story, exposed by the Wall Street Journal, coming your way with the reporter next. At the bottom of the hour, Dr. Marty McCarry, about the idiocy of how we're handling this pandemic. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You know, this administration, as Marsha Blackburn was just saying, you know, has as a decision to make as to how we invest in our military capabilities and our technology capabilities to counter uh, what China is doing. China is investing in its military, trying to exceed the United States in our military capabilities so that uh, they can hold us at bay in technology. Uh, they're um, investing in technology in, in part to advance their surveillance society by which they use their authoritarian uh, powers to repress um, you know, their people, but also to reach outside of China. So that was Mike Turner. He's going to be the ranking member of the Intelligence Committee, uh, and he has a, a clue what China's up to. So does Nicholas Barrio, our reporter with the Wall Street Journal, did a great story about the Belt and Road Program with China, how they want to get influence, imperialistic influence over these struggling economic nations who want infrastructure built. They'll come in, offer them a deal, build up whatever it is, an airport or a port, and then when they can't make payments, they'll take it. Nicholas, uh, what did you discover, and thanks so much for joining me, about the Belt and Road Program? Case in point, what they did and are doing in Uganda. Okay, uh, thanks uh, very much. Uh, so, in, uh, particularly with this uh, project in Uganda, uh, this is a loan that was taken around uh, six years ago. Uh, what really can't like uh, is the fact that actually the Chinese had included a clause 
that uh, requires all sales uh, from uh, proceeds from the airport to be deposited on an extra account that is uh, controlled by a Chinese bank. So this came in as a shock at the Ghanans, and they've tried to negotiate uh, these uh, terms, uh, but uh, so far it hasn't happened. So here's an example. They're building the, the, the Entebbe, the famous airport uh, in Uganda. Six years, $200 million. They work out a deal. They take it out uh, with the Export-Import Bank of China. And when the payments, when it was tough making the payments at the interest rate that they have, a 2% interest rate, uh, they decide, they just start extorting it. They'll just start taking it and using access. You're seeing similar things with Kenya and other African nations, correct? Yes, that's correct. It's uh, it's diabolical, taking advantage of, of countries who aren't fully aware of what's at stake. Do you think that that's a correct statement? Oh, yes. And uh, Uganda's finance minister is on the record for having said that uh, it was a mistake to accept uh, this uh, particular loan uh, because the terms were not favorable. But uh, he again conceded that at the time the Chinese insisted that... Uh, Uganda had to take it or leave it, and so they were left with no option but to sign the deal. So there's 140 nations have signed up for President Xi's Belt and Road Program. The governments may owe as much or more to Western institutions, including private sector lenders, international organizations, as much as the World Bank. China lends it because they want to build it, they make some money, and then they want the access, the ports, they want to be able to use the maybe the rare earth that a country might have uh, because they can excavate it for this new green technology, and in turn they take it. So, do you think that do you think that people should know about what do you think people should know about the Belt and Road Program? Uh, well, uh, the, 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 the terms of these loans, uh, because uh, most developing countries uh, need to develop their infrastructure. Uganda, in particular, wanted to expand this airport. Traffic has been expanding and uh, uh, passengers are swelling, but uh, the, the facilities where they are at the airport are not uh, they are not sufficient. So, in this case. I think uh, what is important is uh, countries and other policymakers who are borrowing to uh, take into consideration most of these terms because, yes, the money is there, but uh, a lot of observers have noted and analysts, sometimes the terms are not very favorable. You got to have the Western nations got to come together and offer an alternative. You know, Uganda asked for more favorable terms, uh, China says no. Uh, so now the rubber hits the road and they start taking stuff. Uh, it's really evil. You're not going to get that with the U.S. or the Western nations. So I appreciate you telling this story and writing it up in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so thanks so much, Nicholas Barrio, reporter with the Wall Street Journal, telling us about how China is uh, fanning out through Africa. Thanks, Nicholas. You're welcome. Thanks, Dad. All right. 1-866-408-7669. Uh, Dr. McMarty McCarty is coming up next. It's really unbelievable. In Kenya and in Ethiopia, the politicians, public watchdogs, and media are questioning why China's doing that. They're building these great roadways, and they're trying to get uh, better terms and renegotiate, uh, but they're not. So China says, okay, we'll just use those ports. No, we're just going to use those airports. We're not going to rip them down. So they come up with these complicated deals. It's up. Joe Biden talked about helping out and having another option for these struggling nations. Where is that program? That's something I could 100% get behind. I, 
love to talk about it, but it's not happening. This Paris club, I think in, in Europe they realize they, they will come up with better terms, they'll do a better job, and uh, they will not try to extort these countries because they'll just they'll build the structures and maybe get the influence, but it'll be something that'll be diplomatically debated, not through banks or military muscle. When we come back, Dr. Marty McCarry, the folly which has been the last year and a half on this COVID-19 and how to get our kids back in school. This is Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The FDA amended the uh, emergency use authorization for the Pfizer booster for kids ages 12 to 15. So I guess my question is, why has the protocol been different with the boosters than it was for the emergency use authorization of the vaccine itself? Jackie, the FDA makes their own decisions, not driven by what the White House is telling them what to do. So I would point you to the FDA to get any comment on that. Really? So the White House is not pressuring the FDA to uh, mandate 12 to 15-year-olds get a booster or get a vac- or anybody get a vaccine. Dr. Marty McCurry doubts that. Fox News contributor, surgeon, and professor of health policy at, uh, at Johns Hopkins School of Public Affairs, author of The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare. Dr. McCurry, is that okay with you? The White House just punts and says, not my call? Uh, No, because what's really happening is there's significant pressure by the White House on the FDA. The reason I can say that with certainty is that two top FDA officials who were there for a long time, they were senior and highly respected, they quit in protest over pressure from uh, from the White House over this very issue, boosters in young, healthy people, an issue where the data does not support doing it. So that's why it's not hard to connect the dots. I don't even understand. I've never seen any data. I just hear people say there is data and studies that says the booster's helping. Where do you stand on the booster and, uh, and for what ages? So the uh, only over age 50 is their data supporting a clinical benefit. That is a reduction in hospitalizations. And by the way, you're starting off with just the regular vaccine series at a very low risk of hospitalization. So the boosters are, are taking a very low number and making it even lower. So people should know that. They shouldn't be worried, right? The risk of a fully vaccinated person getting hospitalized is 1 in 26,000 per week during an active outbreak. That's a CDC number. So over 50, you can get a booster. I recommend it for people over 50. In young people, the Fauci's of the world are pointing to antibody levels. They're not pointing to clinical benefit. And the problem is when you look at just antibody levels, which are just part of the immune response, it doesn't include the memory T cells, you can jack those up with a booster every Monday morning if you want. And we just got data out of the UK that 10 weeks after your booster, those antibody levels are down and your efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine goes down to 35%. Wow. I mean, that's surprising. I know we didn't know anything about durability by other definition when it comes to a brand new vaccine, but this has got to be disappointing. Yeah, because there's risks to boosters, and they've been brushed under the rug, 
Now, I'm not one of these people to say the vaccines are not safe. They are safe. But when you're talking about a very extremely infinitesimally small benefit in young, healthy kids, you've got to respect the one in 1,800 young men who get myocarditis. Now, we're playing with fire. We don't know what's gonna, what that's going to do to a young child over their lifetime. It's inflammation of the heart. It can result in scar tissue. It's common. One in 1,800 is a high number in public health. When one in 1,800 young kids are getting inflammation of their heart for, to, to prevent um, mildly reduce a risk of a transient common cold, I mean, we're playing with fire here. In the New England Journal study, one of those people who developed myocarditis out of a sample of 136 with myocarditis from the vaccine died. A 22-year-old died. We are playing with fire. So when, when you look at this variant, tell me if this is too simplistic. I'm looking at this variant where you get mild symptoms for the most part and very few deaths and cases are up, right? Uh, the, over the last two weeks, deaths are down nationwide about 4%. Cases are up 235%. So having said that, do you think in one way this could be a good thing that we're all, if we're all going to get it so easily, we'll get the antibodies and very little price to pay because the symptoms are so mild? Yes, and- Omicron is a good thing in terms of public health for as good of an outcome as we could have wanted. Look, nobody wants anyone to get sick. No one desires illness on anyone. But now we've got a milder virus, far more mild than the data suggests, because a lot of those hospitalizations with Omicron reported are really just incidental. So we've got a far more mild virus. And we learned over the last two weeks that Omicron immunity crosses over to Delta. We also learned that Omicron is now displacing Delta at a very high rate. Our battle has always been against Delta. Our battle was always flattening the curve and avoiding hospitalizations. Here's a virus that is essentially nature's vaccine for much of the world that will not get vaccinated. So what do you uh, what do you think about people who have been mandated to get boosters going to college? I've got two daughters. Can't go to school unless there's proof of a, uh, of a booster, number one. Number two is uh, one of them had it. So they, you're not supposed to get a booster right after you had it, right? That's right. I would strongly recommend against any young person who's healthy getting a booster, especially if they've had the natural immunity. I mean, this is the peak of insanity. Nothing represents the overreach of public health more than requiring a young, healthy, low-risk student to get a booster shot, especially when they've had the infection in the past. We are playing with fire again. When the complications come out and we study them a year or two down the road, if if academics allows us to study it, there's a lot of pressure not to look into these things. We're going to learn about unintended harm that we've created. And the universities, by the way, are supposed to have smart people. What we're seeing is the most anti-science and cruel set of policies you could possibly impose on a population that's defenseless. Let's be honest. It's an right. abuse of power on people who are defenseless. A couple other things. Do you believe the overall that we've been oversold on the effectiveness of the vaccine? Well, I think we should have never suggested that it was going to prevent you from getting COVID. The term breakthrough infection was not the right term. It's a tragic term because you're always going to get, get virus particles landing in your nose, no matter how revved up your immune system is. So you're going to continue to see common colds and seasonally, and we're going to have new variants probably each year. And that's OK. Common colds are not destroying our society. It's the hospitalizations that we should have always been focused on. So, you know, in terms of colleges, 
Cornell, you write, masks are still the rule. They'd even recommend it outdoors. At Amherst, students must wear an N95 mask. Or at uh, nearby Emerson, students are tested twice a week and have stay-in-room orders. Princeton University fully vaxxed students are not allowed to even leave the county unless they're on a sports team. I mean, I'm, I could go on and on and what, what they're doing at Yale because people are afraid to leave. You're in Yale. You're not going to push back and say, I quit. But, uh, I mean, they're basically these Ivy League schools are so timid and they're abusing the, the, the fact that everybody wants to get there, the attraction to the school. They're leaving people on the sidelines. So how do we get the word out that these these universities are not going by the science? Well, the good news is, Brian, these policies that are anti-scientific and just downright cruel, there's, they're getting major pushback. Students are smart, and they're now saying, hey, show us the data. We're not going to accept dogma. And here's data that, no, we don't have to wear an N95 mask in class when we're all immune and uh, by the way, the Amherst website says specifically that the mask must have a tight seal with no gaps. Unbelievable. I mean, I see nurses and docs loosen their N95 masks at the end of a long shift because they're hard to wear. So the good news is students are pushing back. Look, we saw it during the Vietnam War. We saw it during other times in history. Students need to rise up and demand data, not dogma. But there's a lot of people who are so intimidated by this coverage and with the medical things that they're choosing to hear. They're the ones pushing, in many cases, maybe a third of the population, are the ones sitting in the corner afraid to go outside and being very critical of you for loosening up your mask or not wearing one. Well, this is what we're seeing. We call this in public health the COVID zero policy. And there's a group of people that are controlling a lot of the prestigious universities that have signed on to COVID zero. It's basically an abstinence only approach that ignores all other uh, ways to approach this pandemic. And it ignores the 31 percent of U.S. parents that said in a recent survey that the mental health of their child is much worse during the pandemic, and the 51% spike in young girls coming to the emergency room for suicide attempts. It has a very myopic vision of viral replication, and it's not treating a person, it's treating a lab test. So can you bring me inside the politics of medicine and why this administration would have chosen not to push forward with the Pfizer therapeutic Paxlovid, I think it is. Yesterday, the president said, I, I'm going to put an order in for 10 million more. He still hasn't signed it. He's got about, that would make 20 million. I don't know. I heard there's more than 20 million people in our country. So 35,000 ready in January, 50,000 in February. Are you kidding? 30 pills over five days is the treatment. And we're going 35,000 to 50,000. Why are we at a snail's pace here? Well, it's so frustrating because Paxlovid cut COVID deaths to zero in the clinical trial. No one who got the drug died. I mean, think about that. If we would have known about that a while ago, we've never we never hear our public health officials talk about it. And I get so frustrated. But on the on the flip side, Brian, Omicron is ripping through society so quickly and conferring so much population immunity that by the time these sort of second wave of policies kick in. That is, the their second orders that they're putting in now for testing and for drugs and therapeutics, they're going to be too late. It's going to be too late. So honestly, I don't know if they should do anything different right now because 
that this um, population immunity is going to set in quickly, and whatever they're ordering now for four months from now is going to be too late. Is it the fact is the we didn't order enough ahead of time like we did with the vaccines yes. and take that risk? And and are, is Pfizer waiting on the sidelines? Don't they usually move to another customer like Germany or France or Sweden? Yes, they are moving overseas. Um, but you're exactly right. It was poor planning. And um, many of us had said, you know, I had talked in the spring about how we're going to see high population immunity with, with the beta variant come the summertime. And, and we did. But Dr. Fauci over the summertime basically said, okay, we're done. We're not going to see any more waves. And many of us were saying, hey, no, we're going to have another viral season. I even wrote in that official, in that sort of um, herd immunity projection I did last February that we're going to see another series of waves in the coming in the coming uh, seasons. And Dr. Fauci, to answer your question directly, Brian, he has too much clout. He has clout among physicians because he's one of the editors of our main textbook of medicine, which is a political job, by the way. It's not an academic job. And he has way too much influence over the president. And he's basically crowded out every other opinion when you have one person making all the decisions and that person is wrong, I mean, this is the this is the consequence you have of central planning in government. Let me ask him, what company runs like that? There's not a company in New York City right now that, that's effective that listens to one person all the time. That's why you got multiple vice presidents. You have <laughs> advisors. You have consultants. I mean, that's just terrible leadership. Even if he was a genius, you go, okay, I just got to find out what's going on outside Washington. I got to find out the reality here. Obviously, in July, when he told us and the CDC told us, if you're vaccinated, take off the mask. You don't have anything to worry about anymore. Obviously, a year later, that looks like folly. So anyone that said that, at the very least, you're a wonderful woman. But I can't go by what you say anymore because you make me look stupid. You You have to start couching things. The the greatest mistake he made was hedging early to ignore natural immunity, and we're paying a heavy price. And you may have seen the Danish study that just came out showing that the unvaccinated spread the virus less. And you think, how is that possible? It kind of goes against what we think. Well, in Europe, they recognize natural immunity, and the unvaccinated are largely people with natural immunity. So it's basically the study telling us that those with natural immunity are spreading it less. Um, so they got so many things wrong, and you may have seen that it came out Fauci's going to make over a quarter million dollars a year in just pension benefits every year after he retires, and people were angry. And I said, don't be angry. He's never going to retire. Why would you retire from a job where you never have to show up to work? You can go on every major, every media network with an FCC license every day I mean, the guy is not working. He's on basically this sort of media tour, and I don't think it's ever going to end. I just can't believe how he skates through every interview, and no one plays back poor clips when he was flat out wrong. No one else gets through this like this. It's unbelievable. My last question to you is the five days. After five days, if I test positive today, in five days, according to the CDC, I could go out. Be careful. Go out. Do your things. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Five days. There was pushback on that over the weekend. I'm sure you watched that with great interest because Fauci and others and other like concerned anchors are saying, why don't we have to have a test in order to be okay to go back to our lives, which is unbelievable to me. And the CDC director said the problem is you still, if you use a PCR test, you still have remnants of this virus for 15 days, maybe more. You'll never go out. So they said, okay, get a rapid test. All right, a rapid test. If you want, get around. Okay, fine. But don't just get one. Get three. And then it's the best of three. 
it's like the first round of the hockey playoffs. So, And we have a very limited testing supply, basically a black market now. And all the yeah. tests are going to these young, healthy students and not the people who need it. Look, this, this is a good example of the distraction that our public health officials create, trying to create this sort of mass argument around adjudicating whether or not after five days of quarantine, you should get a shoddy test, a test that's unreliable or a test that's hypersensitive and will light up even months after your, your test, you're positive. This is, and not talk about obesity and therapeutics and the key issues that we should be talking about. This is a good example of how we've been sort of bamboozled by public health officials. Here's the bigger question. Why is anyone quarantining at all? I mean, why do you quarantine at all? Do you do that for influenza or the common cold? The only people who should be quarantining are those who would otherwise be around vulnerable people. And so the idea that we have to have these massive deliberations about whether or not to use a shoddy test after five days, hey, how about no need to quarantine at all? <laughs> I have not heard that. Uh, I, I mean, I agree with that, obviously, but I have not heard that. Dr. Marty McCarry, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. All right. Uh, it's always great to talk to him. You could follow him, and I would, on social media. When we come back, it's your turn, one 408 7669 We go around the country, around the world. Questioning everything. everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I want to try to squeeze in some calls before the top of the hour. Thanks so much to Dr. Marty McCary. Uh, truly educational, uh, always. Joe is listening to WABC in the Bronx. Hey, Joe. Hey, good morning, Brian. Uh, two things really quick. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. Does that name ring a bell? No. Okay, he's written very extensively on these fake vaccines because you can't call them vaccines, and I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, but with regard to uh, the COVID vaccinations, there's no way in hell that these uh, vaccinations should be mandated because if you're not an elderly person or you don't have a comorbidity, an underlying condition that would exacerbate uh, infection with COVID-19, there is no reason why an otherwise healthy person should be vaccinated because these deaths that you're hearing about, again, are fully vaccinated people. Like Colin Powell is a full is a is an example. He was fully vaccinated and he passed away from what? COVID nineteen. The vaccines themselves are causing the DVTs, deep vein yeah. thrombosis, myocarditis, periocard oh, pericarditis. Oh, everything with these three things, you're hundred percent right, but I don't think Colin Powell died of that. But you're hundred percent right. We do not know enough about these vaccines. Nobody thought a year ago they would be talking about so many breakthroughs, so many people getting this, so many people who uh, got it two or three times after being vaccinated. Our secretary of defense got a booster to double vaccination, walks around with a face shield, has now got the virus. And he's about 80 pounds overweight. So who knows how he's doing with it? Thanks so much for listening. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. we got a big hour coming your way as we are in day three of 2022 from the radio show perspective anyway. January 6th tomorrow, everyone's going to be marking that. CNN's going to be looking to juice up their ratings because of that. MSNBC right behind it. Uh, while not even talking about some of the other major issues that are uh, tackling this country, uh, uh, facing us uh, straight away. This hour, Martha McCallum's going to be here and Brett Baer. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Most military members do love the country, and I think most of them are very smart. I think the problem is in playing this game, They've put on blinders and lost perspective of the bigger picture. But it means they're not able to to span the room and see the real problems. Uh, that is so true. Colonel Lieutenant Colonel Scheller finally speaking out, does it with uh, Tucker, about the death and destruction of Americans in Afghanistan as a report on who exactly got out and who exactly is left in country. Uh, that report is two months late. No one has been held accountable. Not Austin, not Millie, not McKenzie. Where do we go from here? You'll hear that interview. Number two. I know uh, D.A. Bragg. I I respect him. He's a great prosecutor, former U.S. attorney. You identify that they have a mental health issue. Instead of locking them up, let's defer prosecution. There's no reason to put someone with a mental health illness in Rikers Island. That's a revolving door. That is not the issue, and you know it, Mayor Eric Adams. Another win for George Soros. Crime and no punishment takes root in New York City at a time in which this new mayor promised just the opposite. How this new D.A. just let us all know this city will get more unlivable by the day. Armed robbery, burglary, resisting arrest, downgraded or ignored. Number one. I'm testing. I know this remains frustrating. Believe me, it's frustrating to me. We're adding more each and every day. Google, COVID test near me on Google to find the nearest site where you can get a test most often and free. Thanks, Mr. President, for that Google recommendation. Staggering. That's what the American people are doing now as the administration has let them down on every turn. Oppressive vax mandates, inadequate undersupplied tests, overstating the effectiveness of vaccines have combined to create a pervasive climate of distrust in this country. Worst of all, the teachers' unions defying their beloved Democratic leaders and closing schools in so many major cities. Further, further damaging our next generation. Uh, with me right now is somebody who's got two kids in schools who's dealing with us on a daily basis as well as a full-time anchor. He gets a matching 401k as well as dental and health insurance. He's a chief political anchor at Fox News, anchor of Special Report, uh, best-selling author to Rescue the Republic, uh, and also has got a big all-star uh, benefit event over in Naples, Florida to benefit the Children's National Hospital. He's got a full plate. Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brett, first off, uh, the president of the United States yesterday continues to say this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Do they just keep loading the prompter with the same copy since last year? Uh, that is so beyond where we're at right now. It's um, it's the same thing again and again. And uh, it doesn't seem like the messaging has changed for the White House, which is shocking if you think about how many things have not gone right. Um 
I agree with you. I mean, the pandemic of the unvaccinated, when you have large numbers of vaccinated and boosted, getting Omicron. And that line should have maybe been taken out of the last speech, let alone this one. So the other thing is, I heard you on the show the other day, you went to get a, a home test and there was, they were all gone. There were two on the shelf and they were taken right away. That's what everyone's experiencing. There's no way, Brett, I could do a story about the long lines to get a test to see if I'm positive for the coronavirus. Two years later, tests that have already been created, two years later, money that's already been put out there, and not say, okay, the administration has not ordered enough tests, but I'm watching three network broadcasts cover the story and not bring up the fact that this administration did not order enough tests. They punted and blamed the states. It's uh, astonishing. You know, in December of 2020, December of 2020, Joe Biden said as president-elect that it was a travesty that there were not more tests readily available and that testing wasn't set up, a regime of testing. He called it a travesty. And December 2021 happened, and now we're heading towards February. And um, it's still a travesty. So it does fall on this administration, not the last. So here's Jen Saki on that very question, cut 11. So the first deliver, delivery from manufacturers will start later this month. That's our expectation. When we have those deliveries in hand, uh, we will put the website up, make it available uh, so that people can order tests at that point in time. All right, that'll help. Uh, why we're at that point, I don't know. The other th- uh, story that came out today, front page in the New York Times, is that we have this thing called therapeutics and Paxlovid. I'm sure I mispronounced it, by Pfizer, is something you take uh, 30 pills over five days, going to reduce or eliminate the symptoms. He ordered another 10 million. That gives us a total of 20 million. Last count, we have more than that uh, since we went to 50 states. Uh, 35,000 are coming in January, 50,000 coming in February. When you look at the structure of an administration, who's responsible for this type of ordering or lack thereof? Oh, you know, you have a COVID task force for a reason, and there are a number of things they have to tackle, and this is one of the big ones. Um, you know, if you listen to Admiral Brett Gerard talk about this and what they were planning, what they did in the last administration, you know, and they were working hard to get the vaccine, let alone the therapeutics, but they were working on all fronts. I just don't know if they were working on all fronts on this administration when it came to the therapeutics especially. And, um, yes, they're pushing the vaccine and they're pushing that everybody gets it. And numbers are actually pretty good for the numbers of people who've gotten the vaccine and the booster. Um, But there's a lot more that this administration, this health policy machine could have done. So there's another big story in the New York, which oftentimes becomes national stories, and that is George Soros put a million dollars into uh, Alvin Bragg's ad- run for a district attorney, at which time the guy wins, like the like uh, George Soros's uh, pick in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and uh, Philadelphia. And at, immediately he says, we're not going to prosecute for a prostitution, trespassing, turnstile jumping, resisting arrest, interfering with arrest, downgrade uh, burglaries and armed robberies. I mean, it's unbelievable what we're seeing here. And here's Eric Adams, who ran on the exact opposite, cracking down, putting plainclothes officers back on the street and backing cops. Listen to what he said when this revelation came true yesterday. Cut 19. 
Oh, I, I think that he's focused on doing that, and I think he's on team public safety. Team public safety is not only handcuffs. Team, team public safety is also ending the pipeline that turn people into career criminals based on certain actions. So, for example, now if you break into a house, but if you go into a storage area like a garage, it's going to be downgraded to a Class D misdemeanor. But if you break into a house where there's people there, uh, that's really you're going to get serious charges. I, I cannot believe the law and lack of order uh, in this climate after what we've just been through for the last year and a half. Is, is this going to panic Democrats politically, let alone worry people in these urban environments? I think so. I mean, that's not just New York. Obviously, it's Chicago, it's L.A., San Francisco. You name the big city, there um, seems to be an increase in crime problem. And, you know, when Democrats uh, like Harold Ford and others talk about what they believe is the right way to go, they point to Eric Adams on crime issues. So, listen, it's a big issue. It's it's as big as Inflation, I think, you know, safety at home is a political issue that falls on uh, the Democratic likely, you know, governments in these different areas, but also the federal government if they're ignoring it. Yeah, I mean, uh, armed robbery is now a class B felony. Uh, Now convicted criminals caught with weapons and other guns will will have those felony charges downgraded to misdemeanors. Uh, Bragg said, because I saw so many people go into jail while they were waiting for trial and they couldn't afford to get out. I get it. That's something that should be addressed. Nothing to do with this, though. I'm going to look at a couple of things. When it comes to crime, I don't think you see Democrat or Republican. When it comes to kids in schools, you don't see Democrat or Republican. If you are just a political operative, you have to be almost panicked if you're a Democrat. It was going to be tough anyway in the midterms. You've had 25 retirements in the House. What do you think this does to the political climate? They're making the American people look past their party. And it's not so much what Republicans are doing. It's what Democrats are doing. 100%. I mean, let's be honest. Republicans are not, you know, profiles of courage along the way here in a number of different incidents. But there are the instance of politics right now is leaning heavily towards the Republican way. And you look at the uh, the Cook political report and their estimate of what 2022 is looking like. It's overwhelming leaning to Republicans. They picked up some in the census in red districts. They picked up some in redistricting as far as districts that look likely Republican or heavy Republican. And, uh, you know, they only need a few. So the House is one thing. The Senate's a different thing. But there's a long way to November. And um, 2020, 2022 looks good, but the Republican Party still has a lot of things to work out in interior, in interior side. Uh, there, this is uh, Joe Manchin yesterday. The Chuck Schumer by Martin Luther King Day says if he doesn't have an agreement on election reform, he's going to carve out an element of the filibuster and go for a simple majority. We know how that worked when it came to judges. It's not going to work if Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema and others don't get on board. Here's what he said yesterday, Joe Manchin, cut 38. Let me just say that to being open to uh, a rules change that would uh, create a nuclear option, uh, it's it's, it's a very, very difficult. It's a heavy lift. And the reason I say it's a heavy lift is that once uh, you change uh, a rule or you have a carve-out, I've always said this. Anytime there's a, a, a carve out, uh, you eat the whole turkey. <laughs> there's nothing left. 
because it comes back and forth. So you want things that will be sustainable. That's what you're looking for. So when you read those words and see what Joe Manchin's done over the last year, do you think that Senator Schumer's got a secret plan to carve out something that Joe Manchin's going to go along with when it comes to election reform? No, I don't. And it's not just Joe Manchin. Obviously, it's Kirsten Cinema. But the words that they're saying publicly match the words that they're saying privately. And um, I, I don't think that there's some secret carve out. I mean, listen to what he's saying. And, you know, Manchin has been clear all along. He was clear with me on Fox News Sunday. He was clear with me uh, the last time I interviewed him um, that he is not for changing that process. He could be for uh, you know, some ways to negotiate a voting rights bill that gets Republicans on board. But that's the key thing, getting Republicans on board. And so far, there are zero. Yeah, so we'll see what's going to happen because that the bill back better. He does seem to have a little wiggle room. Do you agree with that? Has somebody talked to him since your conversation when he said, I'm out on your last edition of Fox News Sunday? Do you think that there's they're coming back around to him? And do you expect something to be offered to him again? Yeah, definitely. But a scaled back version, which is not the whole build back better deal. I mean, it's it's basically maybe a couple of the things, child tax credits and um, something else. I mean, maybe they they work the climate change issue. But his big thing was you got to fit it under the umbrella of one point five, which is still a ton of money. We just passed a one point nine trillion dollar covid relief bill last March. So that's Manchin's big thing, but they're going to come back at him to try to get some W on the board. Uh, real quick, uh, Brett, we know what's coming up uh, February 19th, your Children's National Hospital fundraiser in Naples. The all-star panel will include uh, Dana Perino, Jesse Waters, Harris Faulkner, Shannon Bream, you. I'll be there at the Ritz-Carlton Golf Resort in Naples. Is there a possibility to still get tickets? There is. Uh, there's probably 80 tickets left. AllStarPanelEvent.com. AllStarPanelEvent.com. They're going fast. It's going to be a great night. Uh, and we're going to raise a lot of money for Children's National. Obviously, the hospital would save my son, but they do amazing research for pediatric heart and cancer. Uh, and they're really leading the country in, in that. So psyched to do it. And it's a lot of fun. You've been there. What is this now? Three, four? No, this will be my third. Uh, last year was virtual. So I, I had one in person, and yeah. I remember I arrived without a belt, and I had to get a belt. Yes. I don't, and we took care of you. You did. Well, I paid for it. Let's be honest. Well, I mean, yeah. And I, by I the mean, way, belts true. at the Ritz are not affordable. <laughs> They're not cheap. <laughs> the Ritz belt. Right. But you're going to have it forever. Thank <laughs> you, the member. Right. I framed it. I'm afraid to break it. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Brad. AllStarPanelEvent.com. AllStarPanelEvent at gmail.com to write uh, for any questions. Uh, thanks so much, Brett. Talk to you. We'll Watch it tonight. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll take your calls, one 866 I'm just touching on that crime thing. We'll get into more of that with Martha, Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We have no reason to think at this point that Omicron is worse for children than previous variants. We know that our kids can be safe when in school, by the way. That's why I believe schools should remain open. 
So I encourage the states and school district to use the funding that you still have to protect your children and keep the schools open. So that was the president yesterday. Martha McCallum here said to host her show at three o'clock today. So why aren't the unions listening? I, I love the word encourage. I mean, this is a this is a federal public school system. And you have as a school system, as the United States of America, we have a public contract with the children of this country to teach them. Right. It's a federally funded, taxpayer funded program. And their job is to teach our students. There is not enough discussion in this country over the loss of learning. I understand the emotional and mental impacts as well, which we talk about a lot, and those are enormous. But let's just start with the very basic thing. We have to teach them. We have to educate them, and we haven't done that. They've fallen behind. There's a very small window to catch these kids up. And I would love to hear from the First Lady, who is a very well-known educator. She, her voice needs to be heard on this. She needs to say to these unions, look— I'm a teacher. I understand the difficulties that you face. You have an obligation to educate the children of this country. If you're not willing to do it, step aside. Step aside. Uh, you saw you saw the fact that the Anthony Fauci says back to school. You saw the Secretary of Education back to school. You saw the President say back to school, but they weren't willing to call out the unions. Well, you didn't hear about too a much report. money from the unions in these campaigns, but they need but to be willing, years old. They, they he, need to be willing about? to they need to be willing to stand up to these unions and say, OK, if you're not willing to do the job, you need to let someone else do it. You need to step aside. I want you to hear what Eric Adams said Sunday. We are going to keep our schools open in the school. Less than one percent of children are infected at home over 15 percent. So I say to that parent. Bring your child to school. Right. And know what I would do if I was him? Those people that are unvaccinated teachers, you, we need you back. And we'll fork out a testing regime uh, down the line. That would have been great. But how do you feel about him saying something that de Blasio was never willing to say? Look, we've learned this lesson, right? The fact of the matter is that kids should have been in school all along. And to his credit, which lasted for about five minutes, Mayor de Blasio at the time said the same thing. In the very beginning of COVID, he said these kids need to stay in school. And it's then? the safest place for them to be. He got bulldozed by the unions. You know, do you remember the, I, I played this on my show yesterday. Do you remember the video of the Chicago Teachers Union put out on their Facebook of yeah. the teachers dancing? Yep. I mean, we are in such dire shape as a country. We have to have a competitive edge. Do we understand what's going on with quantum computing and AI? We need to be educating kids at the lower levels so that they can compete on the world stage with China that wants to eat our lunch, to use a phrase by Joe Biden. And there's no discussion about this. Back in a moment. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I know uh, D.A. Bragg. I, I respect him. He's a great prosecutor, former U.S. attorney. And here's what I believe in my plan as I speak with them. At the precinct level, someone comes in for a, a, a petty theft. 
right at the precinct level, you identify that they have a mental health issue. Instead of locking them up, let's defer prosecution. Let's have a local community-based organization that deals with mental health illnesses. Handle it right at the precinct. That's the coordination we need. There's no reason to put someone with a mental health illness in Rikers Island. That's a revolving door. Let's give them the services they need so we can prevent them from going into the Dwayne Reed ceiling again. Yeah, good luck with that. All right, so uh, that's Eric Adams pretending as if this new DA wants to be uh, kind, a little bit kinder when it comes to mental illness. But in reality, we're talking about uh, a Manhattan DA who's telling prosecutors no longer prosecute marijuana misdemeanors. Okay, that's not that big of a deal. Resisting arrest and interfering with an arrest, that is so devastating to the police officer listening. And I know a lot of you cops listen. Call in. And this is so devastating. Now, resisting arrest, there's really going to be no penalty. Prostitution, uh, that was something that it, for some reason we pulled the foot off the gas on that. So good luck, hookers. Uh, this is a free pass. Trespassing to a degree, I'm going to break that down. And turnstile jumping. All the uh, bottom line is, why would anyone pay for a subway? You're not going to get it prosecuted. No one's going to bring you in. You're not even going to get a ticket. Martha McCallum's here is going to host her show at 3 o'clock. Martha, I cannot believe Eric Adams is pretending as this DA is not laying down the groundwork to make New York more like San Francisco. Yeah, this is this is a problem. And I say this as someone who was very encouraged by Eric Adams' inaugural speech. I thought he said all the right things. They love the country. I love to hear that. And he, you know, talked about obviously law and order, which he ran on. He talked about getting the city back. He said, We're gonna go back to Broadway shows. Everyone needs to get back to the office. We need to get this city back to the to the Big Apple that everyone dreams of. So th- this guy, Alvin Bragg, is a problem uh, in in accomplishing the goals that Eric Adams says he wants to accomplish. It's going to be possible. So they're going to either be at odds, and this is not going to work out, and he's going to have to make a change very quickly. I, I can't really see that um, Keishan Sewell is going to be on board with this program from Doesn't Alvin Bragg. So you know they're they're going to they're going to need to figure this out. Martha, we watch the uh, police chief in Los Angeles all the time. He's so helpless it's because awful. of the rules. And San Francisco, too. Awful. Cops are on one side. Uh, the police chiefs are on one side. Cops are on the other side. And they go, okay, you're not going to back me up. I'm not yep. going to do it. This is everything the cops complain about. So I I, don't, don't tell me I have my back if there's a controversial shooting. Don't expect me to do any arrests. So that means we don't have our backs. So here's an example. Bragg says armed robbers, armed robbers who use guns and other deadly weapons to stick up stores and other businesses will be prosecuted only for petty larceny. It's a misdemeanor, provided no victims were seriously injured. Armed robbery is a Class B felony, which typically is punishable for 25 years in prison. Now it will be penny larceny and get you 364 days in jail and a $1,000 fine. Probably worth the risk since cops aren't going to be arresting you. Get this. I, I can't believe this. Burglars who steal from residential storage areas like a detached garage, a parts of homes that aren't accessible to a living area means this most likely not going to run into a person, will be prosecuted for a low-level Class D felony that only covers break-ins instead of a far more serious crime. Now, if you run into people, you get 25 years. What what is the point of there's no compassion no, and, there? But and it it's completely at odds with what the new mayor says he wants to do. Obviously, people have left New York in droves. There is a shift that's happening in cities all across the country, Detroit, Chicago. They have lost hundreds of thousands of residents. That is what's going to happen in New York and continue to happen in New York under these kinds of rules. And it, it needs to change. And I think you're 100 percent right. These police officers need to be very vocal. They need to speak out. And th- I believe that the people of New York City will back them. No cash bail had everybody speaking out, and they said this will be a disaster. I know Pat Ryder in particular, the Nassau County Police Chief, says you don't understand how bad this is. I'm not going to be able to get done with the paperwork. They're going to be out. 
Uh, so, and I have to put together a within like 24 hours, you got to put together a thorough background check in order to present it to a judge in a certain amount of time, or he or she is out. And when by the time you do it, you could be letting out somebody who's obviously going to be perpetrating another crime. Now, here's one quote I missed, and it gives me hopes. Uh, he says uh, he likes this guy. But he says, I have I've not communicated with the DA. I have not looked over and analyzed exactly what he's calling for. But I have to respect DA Breck. I don't, from what I see. He's setting a very big precedent. While the attorney general is prosecuting and, and subpoenaing the uh, Donald Trump Jr. and Ivanka, at the same time, New York City is running rampant. They're taking the skating ring away from the Trump family. But you're allowed to rob, steal, and cheat, and we're going to have compassion. And they said, well, we got problems at Rikers Island. Well, you have enough money to build a, a proper prison. Do it. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is this plainclothes police force, which uh, Eric Adams wants to put back in place. So you're going to have these folks who and, and one of the top goals of that is to go after gangs. I think this is a really big story because what happens and it happens in cities across the country is that gangs commit violence and then no one in their family or their friends, nobody will give them any information. So what you need is to have undercover cops who can who can catch them in the act and arrest these people. Now, if they're not going to be prosecuted, those undercover cops are going to get pretty frustrated with what they're doing and trying to clean up the streets. You're and not be so able to get will to do the job. New Yorkers right. um, who want to protect their property and who want to live in a peaceful city. I want you to hear what Paul DiGiacomo said. He's the DEA, DEA president. Cut 21. Seems to me that uh, you're giving uh, a green light and emboldening the criminal element uh, to resist arrest and to obstruct a governmental administration and interfere with an arrest. There are some people that just don't belong in society, and history has shown us that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. You break your social agreement with society and civilization, and you need, then you need to go away. You need to be behind bars and be incarcerated in order to learn a lesson so that you never want to do it again because you don't want to go to Rikers Island. So I like this New York Post quote. Uh, the old way. If you do, if you can't do the time, you don't do the crime. The new way. That's right. If you can't do the time, Alvin Bragg will be there for you. Mayor Adams can just forget about this often promised crackdown of the city's dangerous rising crime rates because there is no point to picking up criminals if you have no place to put them. Adams probably didn't expect Manhattan's DA to be an obstacle to safe streets, but there you have it. He is. I don't know how he sits there and deals with felony assaults up 9%, murders up 4%, rape up 3%, robbery up 4.7%. This is year to year, and they were up prior to that. Overall crimes up 7%. Shooting victims are up as well. So that's where we're at with uh, crime. And the reason why we bring up New York and discuss it so much is because this was going to be looked to be the turning point where the cities go back to sanity, in my humble opinion, and I think yours too, yep. where people realize, at the very least, for their own political uh, survival, 2022, I don't really know how many Democrats have been assaulted, but I think a few have, as well as been victims of burglaries, armed robbery. I think that that's between the kids being kept out of school by Democrats and by the crimes being done by Democratic-run cities. You are telling Republicans with doing nothing that they should be in power. Right. And I, and I think that if this mayor doesn't figure out a way to get this DA in line or to get a new DA— um, he's he will not be reelected. He will not be reelected. And you're going to see those kind of election ramifications, I think, across the country in these midterms. And I look look no further than Virginia and think about the people holding up the posters, parents for Yunkin, 
right? Those are independents. Those are people who voted Democrat before. Some of them are Republicans, but they all have one thing in common. They want to live in a place where kids go to school right. and where people are safe. And that is a common thread, and it really it crosses party lines, and it certainly is evident in New York as well. So, so and, and lastly, when we talk about coming back, this reminds me of last year. Come Don't. back. It's only a few people in studio. Me and you are in studio. There's only one good thing about what's going on. It takes me 25 Traffic. minutes to get to work. Yeah. I, I thought I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, you know, it's the day after New Year's. Everyone's back at work. The traffic's going to be insane today. Better leave earlier than usual. Got to work in 25 minutes. I thought, oh, my God, no one's coming back to work. Right. What and is going on? So I take the train home, and I had a car wide open, and I was not going to take the train because I had to do a radio interview. And I'm about to do a radio interview for one of our affiliates, and I realized there's nobody on this car. I actually did it in full voice on a train while driving home, which I never normally would do. It's yeah. not fair to the radio show. And plus, I don't want to talk so loud with people. There's nobody on the train. Okay, this is— Brian Kilmeade's private car. Yeah, finally. I, I finally get the respect <laughs> I deserve. So I, I was on a taxi. got no problem getting a taxi. There's no one on the streets. But here's no. the good news. I think it's going to change rapidly. Because if you just look what happened in South Africa, if you see the way this is fall, it's going to fall off a cliff in about two weeks— and then people got to come back to work. And I think that— I, I think hope when, you're right. I, I think as an American culture, we have—fear is so deeply ingrained in this culture. And people love—there are a lot of people who love working at home. I am not one of them. You're not one of them. But there are a lot of people who really, really like it. And right. that's scary. It, it is. If you do your own business, you have, if it works for you, fine. But there's a lot of things that happen at work where you interact with people. You grow. You in, you uh, you able to get mentors and see opportunities and, and grow in meetings. The, what about just the, like, taking a shower and getting dressed and leaving your house oh, every day, I think. Believe me. Right? I'm, big I'm so guy. grateful for that. I'm like, showering I'm grateful every day that I get to, like, get in my car and go to my office and have a work life where I see people. I get to see you. I, and then go home at night and say, hi, honey. Like, you know, how was your day? My husband talks about his day. Like, it's not normal right. to just never leave your house. It's not normal. Is it normal to, by the way, you said, hi, honey? I've never done it. I don't use nicknames. You don't? No, we just use our names. Is that is that hey, a problem? Honey. I like honey. I like sweetie. Did that come naturally? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And this is your you and this is your first marriage. Uh, yes, of right. course. And the only marriage. Right. Absolutely. So I yesterday came into work and I'm, So you're saying like if it was a second marriage you might call each other by Like is it an interchangeable is it an interchangeable <laughs> nickname? <laughs> oh. Um yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. You, don't, I just, don't you know, even... my mom, I also call my kids, like, you know, sweetie. I just do. All right. So Eric it's was the one who told me yesterday. So yesterday I go to work, and a lot of times I get written up negatively. I don't know if you've heard, but yesterday. I've seen that once in a while. Right. Once, if oh, you because really you Google told people to go back to work. That was, that was a negative. And they go, Brian Kilmeade right. said go back to work while he sits in his home in his home studio. Oh, is that what so, it said? So Eric, That's... so I'm sitting here. So this big story is I'm a hypocrite. And it, it's and now the Variety Fair, uh, Vanity Fair picked it up. The Wrap picked it up. Deadline picked it up. Yahoo ran it. It was like the number three trendings. <laughs> and media, I started. So uh, needless to say, I'm here, right? Yeah. I am in studio. So the reason why I'm saying that is not to be a hypocrite. I, I, everyone has the right to you have a home studio, whatever it is. If you could come in and that's an option, I think you should go to work. I think that's the message. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. Doesn't it bother you when people get something so wrong as they're telling me I'm not at work when Look, I was actually on the train in the taxi? Who have the option to work at home, and and I I've I, I also have worked at home at times, right? I'm just saying my preference yeah. is to be 
at work with other human beings. Um, it's great that we've all been able to adopt a lot of flexibility. We, that's how we were able to stay on the air, thank God. So we were able to do that. And I also think, you know, when you've been working for 25 or 30 years, right, um, you, you can earn the right towards a little more flexibility. That's a totally separate thing than staying at right. home out of, out of fear of, you know, of pandemic, which I think has just become too entrenched in society. My thing is you do your own show. Uh, I'm not worried uh, besides this show, which is great. Nobody will do a show with me. Like you have two friends that will do a show. And with no you. one will do no one will work with you. <laughs> That's the problem. Brad will work only on election day. And you've asked him to co-host. Uh so you could you can do your show every day like other people do the show and I'm like it's flawless. I know on a collaborative show, the oh, show yeah, loses forty percent of spontaneity, maybe seventy percent right. of spontaneity, which is the only fun part of doing a show: totally. listening and responding. And I'm the same though. Even though I I anchor my own show, you do I, I'm happy to have everybody on the set. You know what I mean? I love having a guest on the set. It's a totally different dynamic. If I'm in my basement, you know, I'm stepping on person. There's a little delay, and then you just sort of it's it's like Pavlovian. You just learn not to jump in on anyone because you know you're going to be like, uh, 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 sorry, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, exactly. Awful. Eye contact, body language, be able yeah, to see that. Exactly. Uh, so listen, when we come back, I'm going to find out how great it is to see to work with Martha in person because we're going to do more to know, which d- demands collaboration. <laughs> Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, uh, welcome back, everyone. Martha McCallum's show is going to come up at 3. Martha, what can we expect? Do you know yet? Are you going to wait yeah, for things got, to develop? Um, we're going to talk to Betsy DeVos about what's going on in Chicago. She's a great guest on this. So I'm so gonna, also going to speak with um, Dr. Ladapo, who is the Surgeon General in Florida, nice. who has a very different take on how all Testing. of this should be approached. So I'm going to talk to him as well. And we're going to talk to Ted Cruz about the border and uh, the former Secretary of State, Mike, Pom- Mike Pompeo, joins us as well. All right. Well, not that we need to know more, but I'm thinking there might be a way, and we maybe should know more. I always learn more. <laughs> All right, uh, let's start with this. Uh, It turns out the vice president uh, ripped for the tone-deaf tweet saying America's moving again as hundreds are stranded for up to 24 hours on I-95 in Virginia, stopping the Democrats from pushing forward to their uh, folly-like agenda. What is your take on the vice president's time tweet? Well, it was terrible, terrible timing. If she had looked at the TV, she would know that the infrastructure was not moving anywhere. But here's my question about infrastructure, and I've actually been trying to get the answer to this. If you know it, I'd love to know. I would like to see what are the top three infrastructure programs that have begun since the money was released, and how are they? how is it going? Uh, that's great. I mean, top three. What are they? Is it a bridge? Is it a highway? Like, show me the top three projects that are now underway and how much it costs. Great point. Where is the accountability? We, by the way, I, I've been asking, you know, but we haven't gotten an answer back from anyone. You know what? Yet. Joe Biden got a total slide. Mitch Landro's in charge because, right? He and he wants to be president. Uh, you know what? We got to totally pass on the eight hundred billion that Vice President Biden was in charge of the stimulus package, which seems like. Pocket oh, change. Yes. Do you realize the vice president was in charge of that? There's been no accountability on that. And There's that is never any accountability, Brian. This is the problem. $120 billion went to schools so that they could stay open. What did they do with it? The DOJ should investigate. Where'd it go? Next. Ron Klain had this tweet, and it's not aging well, uh, from June 26, 2020. Testing still isn't fixed. Testing still isn't fixed. Testing still isn't fixed. We are the richest country on earth, and we don't have enough swabs. Testing still isn't fixed. Testing still isn't fixed. How is that? Uh-uh. How is the chief of staff uh, in 2022 handling testing? 
Why hasn't he been overseeing a huge testing program so that it would never happen on his watch? Right. Uh, they already made the test. All you need to do is fill out an order form. That's it. Figure out a way to do it. Next. In the NFL, the Cowboys' Troy Aikman starting a health-conscious beer brand. The lager called eight after the former, uh, you know, his number, his number when he played. It's a can of Bud Light. You compare it to a can of Bud Light. has 110 calories. And a can of classic Budweiser, 145 Troy Aikman's beer has 90 calories. Uh, it will initially be sold only in Texas. Uh, eight promises to be different for the average lager beer by using antioxidant-rich, something unpronounceable, Taurus hops. No adjuncts, cheap fillers, and no sugars. How do you feel about beer now? Well, I love beer. You do. Um, you so and, you I and the like, Chief Justice. You know, I love beer. So I, and I don't really care how many calories are in it. I'd rather have like one or two really good beers than like 10 90 calorie beers, but it might be delicious and it might be good for me. So right. I'm open to checking it out. You know, I do have 2,000 Michelob Ultras and I don't even get bust. I'm able <laughs> to drive a tractor trailer and fly a plane. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But I would like a healthier beer. By the way, you don't drink beer, do you? I love beer. But, uh, My you... favorite beer is Devil's Purse. It's made in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. It's the best. Wow, Devil's Purse. I love beer. It, it certainly sounds profitable. I'm not a big wine person. Now some sad news. BlackBerry finally pulls the plug on its once-dominant mobile model. The Canadian-based firm, which has since transitioned to a cybersecurity-centered company, will give up making the BlackBerry. I love the keyboard. I loved my old BlackBerry. I loved it. I loved it, too. And I was, you know, super fast. Very proud of my speed on my BlackBerry. I can't replicate it on the iPhone. Yeah, no, it's harder. Can I just be honest? uh, I have very fat thumbs. You do? And I'm not built for the iPhone. (laughs) And do people talk about my thumbs? No, well, now I just keep noticing they them. They are, yeah, they're very, very bad. <laughs> uh, almost like a plumber's thumb, uh, which does not work good for effective communication. Doesn't work well. Right. That's better. Uh, <laughs> Martha, we're going to watch you three. Thanks, Brian. Brian. Kill me Always show. a pleasure. We drank beer. We like beer. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.